0: Welcome to Education Matters with the Matsubaro School District Superintendent, Dr. Randy Trainey, a podcast to look inside important education matters here in the Matsu. This is Jillian Morrissey, and this is Education Matters. And this is the time of year where government organizations are preparing for budgets for fiscal year 22. The Matsubaro School District gets roughly three quarters of its funding from the state and about a quarter from the Matsubaro taxpayers. State legislators will be headed to Juneau soon, and the governor will soon release his preliminary budget. All of this will affect funding for our school district. Today, Dr. Randy Traney, Superintendent, and Mr. Luke Fulp, Deputy Superintendent, will discuss one item that's very important to our budget and our district, school bond debt. Welcome, Dr. Traney and Mr. Fulp.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. I'm going to look at you, Mr. Fulp. Let's get started with what is school bond debt, and why is it important to the Matsubara School District?
1: School bond debt is really how we finance new construction, renovations, or any major uh, capital projects that we have here at the school district. It's very important to us because uh, these are the schools in which we're able to educate our students throughout the district, and this is the main means or way we've gone about constructing schools. And the state has a program that has historically reimbursed the bonds, and it's important just kind of the way to think about it is a bond is a financing instrument. It's like a loan. You could think of it like a home loan or any type of personal loan, but it's a municipal bond. So it's a, a loan that the uh, municipality, for us, the borough, issues, and it's a debt instrument that they issue. It's So it's a Matsu Borough bond. It's not a school district bond, and uh, we have no ability to issue debt here at the school district, but our borough does. And so when they issue that bond, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the Matsu borough and its taxpayers. So that's why it becomes a ballot initiative. And that's why it's important that everyone votes on that and decides whether or not they want the borough to take on debt and, and issue these bonds. So there's some benefits to it. The interest paid is tax deductible. The interest received by those who buy the bonds, uh, the securities, um, that's also tax deductible. And so there's, there's definitely benefits for this structure, and it's it works uh, in terms of most states and local municipalities go about issuing debt this way, and uh, we're no different here. So uh, when you say school bonds, I think the only big difference, again, I mentioned it a little earlier, is there's a component of it or a program, and it's called the School Bond Debt Reimbursement Program, and that's a program that the state of Alaska has through the Department of Education and Early Development. And Historically, they have had reimbursement rates, which are funded by the legislature year to year, and they, they will repay what comes due in a particular year, and they'll repay it at 70% or 60%, whatever percentage they had set when that bond was issued. And so that's how the state helps our local governments fund the construction of schools and provide for that facility uh, for education purposes.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, that's a really helpful it's interesting to note that this is a mechanism that's used throughout the state. The Matsu district has Megabond that we've been working on since 2011. And so Dr. Trini, I was wondering if you could help us understand what that the Megabond was and is and explain a little bit about how that affects us here in the district.
2: Yeah. So it's been kind of fun for me learning the history of the Megabond. bond uh, you know, I get to see the evidence of it when I visit schools and all the uh, fantastic facilities that some of our students are getting to spend time in. And the history is that back in June of 2011, the school board met over a series of meetings and they eventually proposed to the borough a bond package. Interestingly, like our current governor was the president of the board then and he was one of the people who helped move this forward. Two of our current board members, Sarah Welton and Oli Larson, were there as well, and others have been replaced since then. But the board working with the superintendent over a series of about three meetings came up with a series of projects that they'd like to see that they recommended basically to the borough. And I, I believe that totaled about $280 million. But in this sense, the school district is only advisory board to the borough. The school district board doesn't have any real power, so they suggested to the borough, "Hey, here's some construction projects that we think we need to see uh, going forward for our students." The borough took that in under advisement, and they met over a series of meetings and they talked about this. and Eventually, they voted by a vote of five to two that they would send this forward to the board or to the voters in the valley. They didn't take exactly what the school board had uh, suggested. They reduced it. So it was smaller. I, I can find the exact number here if I look through my paperwork. It was a $214,495,000 what they floated in front of the voters. So then that goes to the voters, and it passed. passed by a, a margin of 4,920 yes votes to 4,267 votes. And there was great reason for that to happen, and Luke had already mentioned this, that the state of Alaska had a long history of doing a reimbursement for bond debt. And at the time that this bond was passed, it was 70-30. So the state would cover 70%, and the borough, in this case, would need to cover the other 30. And there was a very, very long history, 35-plus years, of the state honoring that obligation.
0: So when it went to voters, that's the long history that they'd had, 35 years of that 70-30 being paid.
2: Yep, and it had changed. I think Luke may have mentioned that there were some years when it was 90-10. There were some years when it was 60-40. So they had changed the percentage, but they'd always honored what had happened in the past. Even if they had changed it, say, from 90-10 to 70-30, the bonds that were passed under the 90-10 rule, they continued to pay the 90%. And so you can understand why voters in the borough assembly would think that this was a good deal, because it was a good deal, and now the money has run out at the state. Recently, the state legislature has said that they are not going to honor that 70-30, and that's what we're facing right now. So there's concerns about who will pay that 70% of the megabond since the state is not going to pick up their portion.
0: I was hoping someone we could talk, talk a little bit about what the Megabond has done inside the district. Like the, I, it has built several schools, and I know, uh, Mr. Phelp, you you've you been here for to watch a lot of that. Do you have just a list of some of the things that came from the Megabond? And one of the things that I would just throw out there is just to remember that we were such a fast growing district at the time, and that was a lot, this, it was in response to. The needs of the valley and our, our growing population.
1: That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, In order to qualify for the school bond debt reimbursement program, they are bonds that the municipality issues. But in order to be eligible for reimbursement under that program, there are several criteria that must be met by the school system. And one of those criteria is for new school construction and expanded square footage for schools and that you're able to Provide evidence that there's on-house students in your district, and granted, we don't have students that are taking school outside or anything like that. But we're over capacity in our existing school and our existing square footage, as based on metrics that the state of Alaska has for do us. Do
0: portables count?
1: As- portables do not count towards that. So that's okay. one of the ways. Prior to the Mega Bond, there were, uh, I believe, there are close to 20 portables outside of Wasilla High School, and Wasilla High School's total enrollment was closer to 1,200 students. Uh, whereas today it's just under 1,000. That was some of the, partially, some of the ways that we were able to qualify for uh, expanded square footage for, let's say, Reddington Junior-Senior High School was because we were over capacity in the Wasilla attendance area. And that's, so there's some checks and balances with this, and the state doesn't just allow us to build new schools kind of on a whim, but they look for evidence that were, we're at or exceeding capacity or that our projections are such that we know that in a few years we'll be at that point where we need more square footage but in terms of some of the s- facilities that were built with that megabond there were five new schools and a major expansion so some of the new schools were a replacement school for iditarod elementary a new connect goose bay elementary school which is denina elementary at the time with the, the voter initiative or the bond went to the voters we didn't have a name, of course, for Denina, so it says Kinnick Goose Bay Elementary School. We also have Kinnick Goose Bay Middle High School, which we know today as Reddington Junior Senior High School. We had a uh, school for Matsu Day School, and at the time Matsu Day School was made up of five portables co-located with our facility shop. Uh, now it has a really robust, beautiful facility that houses our students that attend Matsu Day School. And then Valley Pathways, same thing there. We had a number of portables off of Hammer Road there, and it was really an inadequate school site for an alternative school, and today, again, another just tremendous facility for those students and an asset, of course, to the the entire borough. The major expansion was the Career Tech High School expansion, so that Mm -hmm. was phase three of the Career Tech High School expansion, and then there were renovations, like Big Lake Elementary was one of our renovations. We had school sports complexes or complexes throughout the borough, mechanical system upgrades, energy upgrades, bathroom renovations, new lockers. It was just a whole host of things, new playground equipment. So it was one of those bonds where it was really strategic that at the time, every school or area got something. And it was uh, designed intentionally to where they didn't just get uh, something that was a nice to have, but something that actually was needed in that area, so it could have been energy upgrades or a new playground or an expansion to their current facility, but it was something that was very intentional and brought a lot of good things to this this community.
0: So Dr. Traney took us through sort of the historical look of how the Megabond came to voters, and I'm curious, and I'll stick with you, Mr. Fulp, if you could talk to about where we are today with school bond debt and how the district... Is preparing for this?
1: Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's another um, really good question, and I think very relevant to right now of how are we dealing with school bond debt, because it's definitely a shifting landscape for us. Dr. Cheney mentioned it earlier, historically, the state's always funded this program. They've just changed the percentage of reimbursement for future bonds uh, as a result of changing financial circumstances at the state level. This is the first time where we actually see them not only changing future reimbursement amounts but there's a, a current moratorium on school bond debt cannot issue debt that will be reimbursed by the state until 2025 and then and that's for new debt and then for old debt we have you know the legislative sh- legislature showing some willingness to appropriate funds to this program but those those funds have been vetoed the last couple of years so it's very you know at this point we have a lot of needs, and we have past needs to repay this bond, the, the 2011 megabond, and we're trying to work very closely with our borough to figure out solutions to how to do this and really operate within our means. I think when, when we say, uh, going back to your first question that you asked me, why is it important to mat School District, um, it's because the borough and the school district, I think one of the reasons beyond uh, just this is the main financing tool that we use instrument we use to build schools is that today just to in order to maintain our facilities we have over a billion dollars of assets so that's infrastructure in this community it's over a billion dollars and altogether all of our schools is three million square feet of facility space so Mm. when we you have that type of infrastructure that you have to maintain and keep up over the course of time there's a cost to that and we we refer to that as deferred maintenance so as systems age out and you know their lifespan or useful life there's a need to replace them and or perform major maintenance and renovations and that those costs we can project and we can figure out okay when is this going to come due and when is this roof going to fail fail when does this boiler need to be replaced when would we need to go in and replace other mechanical systems within this facility and so all of those costs are big expenses that we can't really ignore so what we've done as a district is looked at ways that we could engage in capital funding, long-term capital funding plans that consider a number of assumptions. Uh, you know, Some of those assumptions could be that the state does not provide any more financial support for school construction or school major maintenance, in which case we would need to really figure that out with the borough to figure out how we're going to fund past debt obligations and how are we going to perhaps fund future obligations, these deferred maintenance projects that we know will come due eventually. Another assumption could be that, you know, when things, maybe something turns around at the state and they developed a long-term funding plan for this, they, they maybe fund past obligations only and they don't fund future obligations. So we've considered a number of those assumptions and what, what we could do to uh, respond to those circumstances. And one of the things that we can commit to, I think, to our residents and our stakeholders is that we're making every attempt to operate within our means, regardless of what that shifting landscape may look like. We're looking at ways in which our capital funding plan can be responsive and responsible to our taxpayers and to you know our, our families that we serve. So we've looked at ways in which we could maintain the current level of spending within the borough at uh, an equivalent of one mill. So when we look at the mill rate, it's about 10 mils for the area-wide mill rate for, that all taxpayers pay, all homeowners pay. And about one, one-tenth of that goes to the repayment of school bonds and the debt service that goes along with that. So over time, as debt's retired and paid off, we have additional capacity to take on more debt without exceeding that one mil. So without having to increase tax bills, we know that over time, we can fund new projects and keep up with some of that major maintenance that I spoke of earlier Th- and this doesn't consider new cons- new school construction at all it just considers what are those things that what are those bills that we know we're going to have with a billion dollars of assets that have maintenance needs that that are ongoing so those are some of the ways that we're doing it we do issue facilities blueprint document every year and in that document we lay out our funding plan our objectives uh, again to be responsive and responsible to uh, engage in a long-term funding plan that would not over-obligate ourselves and not require additional mills on the tax tax, le- not an additional tax levy. And then we also have reduced the total amount of our six-year CIP plan that's approved by our school board. We've really looked at that list and we've reduced it to just kind of those bare essentials that we know we have to have over the next few years. And so the total amount of that has been reduced as well, just so that we can operate within our means.
0: Dr. Trini, I want to go back to what I started with. Everyone's getting, starting to get ready for the budget season and starting to plan for fiscal year 22. I know that this just came before the school board. It was a work session for folks to understand about school bond debt. And then there was also a joint Matsubara Assembly and Matsubara District uh, school board meeting just this past week. What is the most important thing for families and staff to know about school bond debt?
2: I think the most important thing for families in the Matsu to understand is that although school bond debt is not something that a lot of people give a lot of thought to, the current situation can really impact students in the schools. Currently, this year, the state, were they to honor their 70% split would would be putting out about $100 million. And everybody understands that there's a crisis with regard to funding at the state level, and that's one of the reasons why they didn't honor that. MATSU represents about 17% of that, or about 17 million. So the voters of the MATSU and the borough assembly and, of course, the school board, they had anticipated that the state would cover this 17 million, and it needs to be covered. So who's going to cover that? it's about a little more than 25% of all the money that the assembly gives to the borough. That's what $17 million looks like. So if the borough were to take it out of the school district share, we'd have a 25% cut. I'm not saying that that's what the borough is considering. I'm just trying to illustrate the size of the problem. $17 million if we were to take that out of the school district's budget in the form of teachers would be 170 teachers or two major schools, like a middle school and a grade school, Two large, a large middle school and a large grade school. That's, that's the size of this problem. So I think the thing that people need to be aware of is that there is a problem and they need to stay informed about it. The governor will be issuing his budget for next year, this Friday, I understand, at 2 p.m., I've heard. I'm sure everyone will be interested in that. This problem could be addressed at that level. It can also be addressed at the state level with our legislators. And it can. And if it's not addressed at those levels, it will have to be addressed at the borough level. So the primary thing that uh, residents of the Valley need to understand is that there is this problem, and they need to pay attention to the problem. And your votes matter. You have a voice in this, and you can help our elected officials decide how they're going to deal with this problem.
0: Well, Mr. Fulp and Dr. Traney, thank you for helping us better understand school bond debt and how it affects our school district. We'll try to do our best to keep our families informed, and you can find this podcast in order to share with others on our homepage, matsukato.us and go to About Us under our district, and you'll find all of the Education Matter podcast. Thank you both.
2: Thanks.